0: My guest today uh, is a founding partner of Seed Stage uh, Venture Capitalist GrowthX uh, and co founder of GrowthX Academy, uh, and one of Silicon Valley's leading voices uh, on many topics, including entrepreneurship, uh, innovation, education, venture capital, sales, marketing, technology. It's a bloody long list. Uh, and globally recognized thought leader in sales marketing uh, and innovation uh, and education with over 20 years experience of bringing uh, new products to market including a five-time sales founder so sean shepherd welcome very much to the pocket mastermind podcast
1: thanks david awesome i'm great and you yeah really good so
0: in my intro there's a very long list of attributes and accolades i guess uh So let's dig into a little bit of who Sean Shepard is for, for the listeners of the pocket mastermind podcast. And then we'll, we'll talk a bit about, um, startup success and, uh, and what makes a good founder and that kind of stuff. Sounds great. So tell us a bit about who Sean Shepard is. Where did the journey start from, uh, early days to VC uh, Mm -hmm. and where you are now?
1: Well, I've, I've been, uh, you know, 25 years, um, an adult serial entrepreneur. I think I've been a serial entrepreneur my entire life. I don't think entrepreneurship is something necessarily that one chooses as much Mm -hmm. as it chooses. If you're, if you're truly, truly into it. uh, Like I said, I think I've only ever had one or two actual jobs working for anyone else. I'm not, I found out very quickly. I wasn't very well suited for that. (laughs) Um,
0: Seems uh, to be a common theme I found. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm fairly, I I have a problem with authority. I'm fairly incorrigible. I, I tend to, like to do things my way. Um, <clears throat> I'm obviously very type A and very driven. Um, I've learned over the years to try and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, let's say, um, round out the edges, soften them a bit and mm-hmm. sand them down into a finer, uh, into a finer grain so that I, uh, <laughs> I'm much more manageable and, and corrigible to, uh, to other people. But, you know, I'm the kind of person who would have fired myself a long time ago. I like <laughs> I never would have been hired by the companies that I've sold companies to um, <laughs> as an employee. But that's just who I am. And that's, that's my mindset. Yeah. I got started um, in in tech. I, I, I was kind of raised in technology. I was very fortunate to uh, grow up in Silicon Valley. Uh, my father was a, a technology leader, became the technology CEO, very mm-hmm. uh, well-known here uh, in the semiconductor industry circles. and. And i learned a lot just from observing him and watching how he he built and grew his career um, and but he did his the traditional route you know uh served his country in the u.s military and then went to work at the very bottom levels in in, in technology corporation and you know grew to be a, a major officer at intel corporation and then um ceo of some other semiconductor companies so I, I watched him do things the right way and, mm-hmm. and do them inside the lines um which never uh, which I appreciated but I just knew was never my nature uh to paint inside the lines. So where do
0: you think that came from? Does is 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 that is that more of a, a trait from your mother
1: or Uh well I think some of it's certainly nurture but I believe a lot of it's nature. Yes, my mm-hmm. mother is very much um a creative uh, an artist if you will. Um mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't even acknowledge that lines exist much less <laughs> nice. whether or not she would paint inside of them um, so there's some of that but I also mm-hmm. believe it's a lot of it's in your DNA yeah like I said I don't know if you choose it, if it, if it, if it I think it chooses you which means I think you're just more um, <clears throat> inclined towards it I, I kind of think about at the Academy, GrowthX Academy, one of the things we talk about a lot is kind of a two-by-two two matrix of there are the things that you're good at, the things you're not good at, and the things you like, and the things you don't like. Mm-hmm. And stay away from the things you don't like, and then determine whether or not you're currently good or can become good at the things you do, because I believe with the building blocks of mastery, anybody can master anything with the right intentional deliberate practice. Mm -hmm. Um, and repetition of it. Um, And Malcolm Gladwell talks about that in his book, uh, uh, The Tipping Point, 10 Years and 10,000 Hours, focused on Mm -hmm. something. You don't necessarily have to have 10 years and 10,000 hours, but in the innovation economy, in this new economy in which we live, if you want to be successful, you need to develop yourself as a person first, then you can develop yourself as a professional. You acquire a knowledge base, what you need to know to do. Then on top of that, you need to know how to do it, which is competency. And then above competency is proficiency. Can you do it well? And then ultimately, can you master it? Can you become somebody that other people look to Mm -hmm. as a domain expert or a subject matter expert? People value subject matter expertise. So as people think about what they want to do, if they want to make a change, I know your audience is, uh, as we talked before we started, Mm -hmm. very much people inclined and thinking about making changes in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, Especially around what kind of work they do. And hopefully just as much who they do that work with, because it's yep. more important to me, uh, in my experience, that it's it's not just the work you do, but it's who you do it with that determines whether or not you're happy or, or you can find meaning. You can find meaning in work, and then you can find happiness in people. Mm-hmm. So if you can do those things together. So we think, you know, can you find, we, we know that all the data supports it, that if you enjoy something, you can become very good at it because you want to. Yeah. And then you're less focused on the outcome and more focused on the journey. Um, and the people who are most successful are the ones that are focused on the journey. Simon Sinek talks about, hey, everybody wants to get to the mountaintop, but they don't want to climb it. Mm-hmm. right. Um, and so my journey has always been um, not so much outcome driven for myself, but sort of outcome driven against the vision that I had around how I could serve in a way that, uh, was being underserved in the world. Um, and so I uh, I found out very quickly that I was very good at identifying and solving problems and working with people to do that. Um, and that's where my ability to sell and market and design, think my way through problems has served me so well, regardless of what product or what market or what industry or what sector or, or what kind of people or problems I was trying to, to address. And so I think that successful serial entrepreneurship is very formulaic. I think it's not an accident when you see people win over and over and over and over over again at their craft because they've figured something out. It's not necessarily shared with the world in the same way that other things might be, but I do believe there's a, there's a formula. Um, And
0: that's what does that, what does that formula look like for you?
1: So I think um, I, I've kind of alluded to parts of it, but um, can you find a valuable problem that you think you can solve really well? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, it, it, that, that's the beginning of it. Then, then how big do you want that to become depends on how big of a market and how big that problem is for others and how many others are there. But I would say that the first thing that people, successful entrepreneurs need to do is identify a meaningful, valuable problem that they can solve really well. Um, And then focus on validating that. Um, And if you can do that, then you can create value. It doesn't necessarily need, and you can just do it for one person, right? Or for one, uh, one, one company or one one consumer or one problem set. Um, An example is, and you don't even have to be an entrepreneur to do it. Um, You want, if you want to create value, you find something, somebody else uses a problem that they don't want to solve themselves. And you solve it for them uh, or offer to solve it for them. Um, And I think you'll be successful. I've seen, um, a mentor of mine would always say, and he, he, he was one of the youngest um, professional sports general managers in the history of professional major league baseball. And, he, and, and when you asked him how he got there so quickly, um, he said, I found the job that the most important people hate to do, and I offered to do it for them. Um, I like that. Yeah. I mean, that was really it. And, and that's how he viewed it. And so it doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur, you're trying to make a change in your career or your life. Um, find a problem that you think you can solve really well, or want to try and solve really mm. well. Um, and I think that's the first and most important step. And then focus on it until you've solved it in a way that you know is repeatable and predictable. Yeah, and monetizable. Mm. And then if you can do that, you can repeat that for others. Because I guarantee you, no one's problem is unique in no. this world.
0: No, it's t- it's so true. I've I've definitely heard the, si- the similar thing said before. Is kind of Solve a problem for one person, and it will solve it. Solve a problem for thousands, right? But I think where it's easy to get sucked into is trying to almost invent problems that potentially thousands of people might have, and then trying to solve that rather than finding, you know, identify who's that one person. Who are you? Who's who's got that problem? What do they look like? What do they talk like? Where do they go? What do they do? How do you solve that problem for that character? Because we're all you know there's various version there's there's probably a small number of versions of human <laughs> spread across yeah. 7.6 billion people right
1: well you're absolutely right and and so like i said you know i've chosen to apply my craft in technology mm-hmm. i've also done it in in other consumer product areas because i have a passion for for, for sport for example I'm, i grew up playing uh competitive golf played in in college and played professionally for a couple of years before i Moved into tech entrepreneurship. That's a very entrepreneurial pursuit. I did that because I had a passion for it, right? Like you said, I loved it. Um, And then because I loved it, I became good at it. Mm -hmm. And that's when I proved to myself that, hell, I can be good at anything if I just work at it. Um, Not anything. I mean, I, I can't fly. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> not yet. Any anything,
0: anything within reason, isn't it? Isn't not it? Not, yeah,
1: yeah. Anything within reason. Um, <laughs> I can't jump off of a bill, you know, a twelve-story building and expect to survive it either. So, but the um, which is what a launch of entrepreneurs do, right? They jump off the building and they try to build the wings on the way down. Yes, um, it's an old axiom. You
0: see that quite a lot with within startups that the thing gets going, and then they're trying to build it on the move without necessarily having a clear clear enough vision so kind of what are the kind what are the 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 things that you should be doing if you're looking at going into into startup territory and i mean you know startup startup not setting up a a sole trader type thing is what are the things that you need to consider in that world initially to give you the best chance of early success
1: Yeah, well, I think the first and most important thing, once again, is to identify a really big problem that you think you can solve really well in a market that's large enough to support um, a predictable, Mm -hmm. repeatable, scalable business. Now, how do you go about doing that? Um, So in Silicon Valley, you know, we have this thing called the EIR, which is the entrepreneur in residence. And an entrepreneur in residence is someone that has... Either being supported and/or well, they're just essentially they're being supported by a venture capital fund like mine. Um, because in the past we've invested in them, we've had an exit, they've delivered a return to us. We love them and we want to help them find their next thing, mm-hmm. right? And so they'll come in and we'll sometimes pay them a stipend or at least give them the resources they need to start doing research um, to find out what's the next really big problem that they can solve really well in a market that's large enough to support venture-capable returns. Um, And and so they will follow that process. Mm -hmm. And they're not necessarily tied to one idea or vision. Most successful startups um, pivot at least once. 50% of them do. Mm -hmm. A third of them pivot at least twice. So what does that tell you? The majority of them pivot. They start with an idea and they come to find out that it's not what they thought it was. And so, while I've chosen to pursue technology as the place where I've applied my my passion um, and my entrepreneurial bend, um, it doesn't mean that I'm a technologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't even spell HTML. Um, <laughs> but I know what I know. I know what technology promises to do for the world, right—to solve real, yeah. meaningful problems at scale, right. And hopefully do it faster, better, cheaper than it can be done by man or woman, right, um, or by a person. Uh, anyway, um, had to be careful these days how I say that. This is <laughs> People. Um, so uh, so so because of that, what really wins is is the insights, the understanding. Like you said, right? You hit you hit the nail on the head with. You need to go live in the shoes in the world of the people who have the problem you're trying to solve. And many of our most successful entrepreneurs and founders who successfully exit or deliver a return or or have a long-lasting successful business understand as deeply, if not more deeply than their customers do, the problem that they're facing and how to solve it. It's called insights, right? Insights win, not the technology. There will always be Deep science, deep developed technology that's very unique that you know, people have defensibility around, intellectual property, patents, legal means under which they can protect and create monopolies for themselves or, or leadership positions that give them resources to continue to stay in those positions of leadership. But 80% of what money goes into these days in venture is what we call applied technology. It's automation. It's workflow automation, it's software. It's things that you can't defend legally anymore. It's things that anybody with the right money, time and resources can copy yep. um, and replicate. Uh, so how do you create defensibility for yourself? Um, and I, I wrote an article about this uh, called why SaaS should be called software a service as a software instead of software as a service. Mm -hmm. my observations and own personal experiences have been that the most successful companies started out with this very service oriented mindset. So let me help you and let me handle something for you. You're hiring me to do a job, even though I may not be your employee, you are hiring me to do a job, right? And I'm going to make sure that job gets solved come hell or high water. And it doesn't matter if I'm using technology or something else. And frankly, your customer doesn't give a shit. Mm -hmm. I tell uh, Product-focused founders and entrepreneurs every day. No one gives a shit about your product.
0: Yes, it's the
1: problem yeah. they want fix. In they
0: don't care the vehicle that is that, that does it for them, right?
1: Absolutely. And for whatever reasons or any number of reasons, we get ourselves into a very self-centered uh, and product-centric mindset. Yeah, what we do is talk about our products and ourselves. Instead of our customers and their problems, mm-hmm. and so the first thing any successful entrepreneur does is go out clearly define that stuff, define the problem, mm-hmm. right? Number one, define the problem. Somebody once asked Einstein if you had a, 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 a an hour to solve uh, the world's problems, what would you do? He says, "I don't know, but I'd spend the first fifty-five minutes defining them."
0: <laughs>
1: it's true, and and so we skip over that, or we or we operate on assumptions. And when we assume things, it's very dangerous because we act as if things are true and we do not know if they are true. And the truth is the most first and most important outcome of any entrepreneurial pursuit. Number one is to find the truth. You construct a hypothesis and you test it. You don't operate on an assumption because your brain operates differently when you say hypothesis. Yeah. I hypothesize this, that this is a problem. And then how you think about it and then the actions you take are very different than if you you assume something and yes. then you, you implicitly assume it and then you explicitly act on that assumption as if it is true. Mm-hmm. And so then when you already think something is true, your mind is very much closed to variation on it. You're no longer looking for information like you do when you're, when you're constructing a hypothesis, but you're looking for affirmation or Absolutely. confirmation.
0: Confirmation bias steps in, doesn't it?
1: Always. And, 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 it's one of the primary reasons startups fail. Mm-hmm. 70% of funded seed stage startups in Silicon Valley fail. Eight of the top 10 reasons they fail have to do with behaviors and markets. Not and only 20% of them have to do with products and tech. Mm-hmm. Can I get the tech to work? No, it's, it's easy now in this age of applied technologies. It's never been easier, or cheaper to get products to market. The infrastructure is things are very low cost. You can build an app for next to nothing, um, et cetera. Right. Um, but as a result, it's also really, really hard to get real traction for them. So the emphasis needs to be on market development over product development today. <clears throat> and so that's a key part of what people need to do. So they've got to find the truth. They need to construct a value hypothesis about a problem that they've defined. Right. Or they think they've observed in the world. Mm-hmm. What is that problem? How do you talk about it and describe it and for whom? Right and get very, very narrow and very specific. You'll always have an opportunity to broaden and and solve more problems for the same people and then eventually solve more problems for more people or the same problems for more people, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. The more I do this, the more I talk to my entrepreneurs about focusing on as few customers as possible early Mm -hmm. just to to, to learn where your product, where where the problem solution fit is. Um, And then from there, where the product market fit is. And so you find that problem, you define it very clearly. You construct a value hypothesis. You go out to that customer that you think is the one that has the problem. And you start having a conversation with them to understand if that is a problem. Then if it is, how deep is it? How, how, and is it, is it a, is it a, a big enough problem to compel them to make any kind of change right now? because your competition isn't some other company or business or product your competition is resistance to change yeah
0: apathy is a is a
1: yeah well it's not just apathy it's just it's just the pain of change it's basic yeah. human nature right there's a biophysical term called homeostasis yes that the body loves exactly where it is at all times yep uh, its favorite place to be is where it is right now and if you fuck with that um <laughs> Your, your body gets, yes, yes, there's resistance. That's why, the is, that's why the sofa is the most populated place on the planet, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and even if you're in motion, right? So being in motion, your body wants to continue in that motion. Um, and if you're not in motion, it wants to stay there, yep. right? The body's not judging the value of where it is. It's mm-hmm. just judging where it is and saying, yeah, this is good, right? Um, unless there's enough pain to compel change. Yep. And that can be biophysical pain, but it could also be um, psychological, emotional, um, or any other kind of, of, of pain. And that's the point. Like, what is the pain? Is the pain big enough? Yeah. Like, and we've we
0: we just church. seen that now, right? With all of the COVID stuff that's gone on, all of, the, all of these org- large businesses that were, oh, well, there's no way we could operate remote work and it just wouldn't work for us. When the big enough pain came along, guess what? The whole world has been moved to work remotely and now we've seen a seismic shift in the way that people will be working i think in the future and uh, i think that kind of illustrates what exactly what you're just saying
1: there's only a couple of ways people change through willingness yep or force and what you're seeing right now is force Mm -hmm. everyone's forced to change because they don't have a choice so we all have the capacity to do it the question is: is when you is how do you get people to change in absence of force? Yeah, and the way you do it is by removing barriers. Mm-hmm. You need to make it as stupid easy as possible for people to adopt that change and act that change. Because change is not the only constant in the world; resistance to it is the other one. True, and it's the truth. And it, there's a reason Amazon is the most valuable company in the world. They don't make anything except all of us happy and satisfied.
0: Yeah. Well and, to the point to the point now, you know, you don't even look elsewhere. You just go on Amazon because you know it's gonna to come totally.
1: tomorrow, right? <laughs> yeah. What Google Google answers your questions and Amazon delivers your products, yeah. right? And and that's that's the world we live in now, right? And then Facebook and uh, gives you your uh, your social dopamine squirt. Yeah. But that's the that's that's the point, right? So so you've got to start with that and don't underestimate um, uh, you know, the the power of homeostasis when it comes mm-hmm. to trying to solve a problem where people will want to deliver real value. Because at the end of the day, the only true measure in a, in, a, in a free society of of whether or not, you know, you're solving a real problem and can build a real business about it around it is whether or not someone's willing to pay you for it. Mm-hmm. And willing to pay you enough to where it's a profitable venture um, that you can use to either feed yourself and your family and your team and their families and then contribute back and or build up reserves so that you can continue to build and help more people. Um, and that's, that's the deal. Um, and so when you're pursuing that now you've got to, um, find the truth, um, uh, go in with a completely objective and open mind and make sure that you're asking questions in a way that gets people to give you the two things you need most right now, which is their time mm-hmm. and their truth. And be open and buoyant to the idea that the problem that you think they have may not in fact be the big problem that they need solved. And you might find that something else is, it, it needs to be solved and you might be able to, to solve it. And you have to decide if you want to do that. Mm-hmm. EIRs do that. And that's the whole point. Right. That's the long story boring is, is that EIRs will go through that process and sometimes it'll take them years Mm -hmm. until they find something that's really meaningful. So many entrepreneurs start things because they love things and and that's okay too. It doesn't make them not successful, but they still need to apply that formula if they want to reduce their risk of failure. And that's what my whole thing is about. I've started five companies. I've had three successful exits. I've had a lot of expensive learning experiences and I've made a ton of investments as an individual angel investor that have failed. And then when it was time for me to go into this in a formal way, I wanted to try and address the failure rate and I wanted to do it with things I know how to do well, which Mm -hmm. is find the truth about where products fit in the market, how to create functional learning out of the people doing that, knowing they have limited time, money and resources to do it. Because half the battle is staying on the pitch long enough to, to learn. Uh, and then the third is to find profitability. Is there a business model attached to what you've learned from this? So it's truth, learning and profitability. That's the formula. And if you can do that, I guarantee you one thing, you will find the truth. You may not like what you find, yep. but you're going to find the truth. Cause that's all I can guarantee is an outcome for anybody. If they follow the methodology and the process correctly. And we call it, marketing.
0: Re- and if you do it the reverse order, it gets more expensive, right? You don't want to find the
1: truth last. <laughs> and that's- right. And you certainly don't want to build a product first and then yeah. find it and then go out and talk to people. And that's the wrong way to do it. You can do all of this conceptually at a conversation level, at a very deep conversation level with customer yep. development practices um, and being very honest and open and then trying to clearly understand that buyer persona. Uh, and then having those conversations, and having enough of them to to, to find out where the patterns exist, because mm-hmm. that's what it's all about—it's pattern recognition. And this start where who's your best customer right now to talk to, based yep. on the problem you think you can solve for them. Then have that conversation with them to get their time and truth, uh, and learn from that, and then respond accordingly. Right, mm-hmm. that's it. Don't overcomplicate yep. it.
0: And there, there is, and there's, there is a skill in identifying a customer problem that sometimes they don't necessarily know they have, or, or they don't know the solution. Like Henry Ford famously said, if I'd have asked
1: my customers what they wanted, they'd have said a faster horse. Right. And true. Now there, yes. Look, and I I get all that. Um, but Henry Ford didn't invent the car either.
0: No, he didn't. (laughs) Uh,
1: and, and, And one of his employees invented the assembly line. Yeah. And so what he did though, is he recognized, you know, how to build a repeatable, predictable, scalable, uh, vehicle. For, for the masses and then his yeah. other great innovation was is paying his people more to create an entirely new middle class that would turn around and spend that money on buying his cars yeah and that transformed a country um, literally uh, that was his big innovation right yeah the car had already been around for 20 years yeah um, but it was how you put all of that together and applied it in the world and I, and I think that's you know that's a great example but he the attitude and it's it's the same thing they say about Steve Jobs right people don't know what you want so you give it to them he didn't that was totally taken out of context um nobody was more focused on user experience and yeah. creating pleasurable desirable um uh customer experience than him very much focused on it mm-hmm. um and i have many many friends at at apple and i've grown up around it and um they they're obsessed like Bezos is with a customer experience and Mm -hmm. making sure they test everything more than probably anyone does. I know Amazon runs 30,000 experiments a month at last count. So it's, it's not, it's not an accident. It's not just, (laughs) I created something and then all of a sudden everybody loves it. Yeah. There's a science to this. It doesn't have to be an art. Art's just science that is yet to be discovered and measured to me. Um, And, people just look at it and lazily say, well, that's, that's an art. And you know, how do you, how do you repeat that? Well, there is a way, you know, you go out and you test things until you find out what people want and they're willing to make a change for and pay for. And, and then you build that stuff and you do those things. You don't always have to be wedded to the things that you want or you think or, or, or realize, you know, or, or are your vision, not without bringing other people along.
0: And that's you you just touched on Steve Jobs there, and I think that's why Simon Sinek used it—the example of Apple very well, back when he did his TED talk in 2009, and then the whole book around starting with why, because Apple from from him specifically, from Jobs very specifically, was all about the why. Everyone in Apple could say why they existed, and a lot of companies weren't able to do that it's probably it maybe there's more now because since then there's probably been a bit more of a conscious shift towards why i, I- hope
1: so i hope so I, I i think it is moving in that direction but he also wasn't necessarily wedded to any particular thing I mean, mm. the, the name apple came because they wanted to be at the top of the phone book yeah it wasn't like they loved apples <laughs> i mean they literally wanted to be above the other personal computer makers at the time in the phone book yeah and that's why they did it.
0: That, that, that in itself shows the level of thought though, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> sure.
1: But it was practical, right? Yeah. I mean, that was the whole yeah. idea is let's be practical about this stuff. We don't have to be wedded to any particular vision or idea um, and, and just and go down with the ship, um, you know, in pursuit of that. And that's another thing that frustrates me, especially with great people who want to work with good technical founders and product founders, uh, is the dynamic that occurs when the product founder doesn't respect the market or the role of the market in their success. And, um, it's, it, it turns out to be a painful and often, you know, unpleasant failure
0: that when they're more wedded to their product and idea. And and
1: And they get frustrated they go, people just don't get it. I don't know why it's not (laughs) flying off the shelves you know, those kinds of comments or where they don't they don't um, invest an equal amount of time and effort in market development as they do product mm-hmm. development. And I would argue today, I can get any code monkey to write anything for me. Um, to me, uh, you show me a good market developer, much more valuable than a good product developer. And I'm sorry if that offends product developers, but the days of deifying the product developer in Silicon Valley as yeah. the almighty are gone. It's,
0: um it's so competitive now and saturated you've got to be able to know exactly who you're talking to why you're talking to them and where they are otherwise you're not going to get any cut through the uh, the amount of startups that must that must start up you know effectively every year uh, it must be astronomical and we never hear uh, about there
1: them. are well i can tell you globally there are 100 million businesses started started every year i think just funded startups in the valley are pushing 20 30000 so it's, it's, <clears throat> it's, um, and we're moving with automation towards no code and low code products. Mm-hmm. So, you know, learning how to code is a great skill. It's like learning a new language. Um, everybody should do it, but, uh, but it's not going to make you unique, no. able into itself. Um, so you, you, you need, and none of this shit matters if you don't have customers. And that's the most frustrating thing. Our entire global society and education system looks down on sales as a, as a second class
0: role. Mm.
1: Um, and it should be elevated to its rightful place in society. Just like being a doctor or an accountant or an engineer or a lawyer. Well, not a lawyer, but you get my point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I completely agree. <laughs>
0: sales, sales is both an art and a science and it's without it. I mean, we interact Everything we do pretty much on a daily basis is some form of sale, right? Every transaction we have with a or interaction we have with another human being tends to be some kind of sale. There's always something going on, even if you're trying to get the kids to go to bed, right? You're still selling an idea to somebody in that
1: regard. In the absence of force, you need a way to move humans, right? Uh, You need to influence them. It's what we're talking about with change, right? In the absence of force, there has to be a way. All of us are in sales. We all are in because if you yeah. define it the way I define it, which is you're trying to help other people and you're trying to influence them to help them, then that is selling. Yeah. Um, and, and I've always said nothing happens until anyone's, until someone sells something. It just doesn't commerce. You need it in commerce. And it yeah. is a human to human experience. We've got to bring the H to H back to everything that we do. Um, and if we can lead with learning and empathy We're there. You know, the five skills that I always talk about at the academy that are the most important to be successful in the innovation economy are business acumen, market acumen, communication skills, empathy, and mindset, right? You need, number one, you need to have a sound business acumen. Like Mm -hmm. you need to understand how businesses and commerce work. If you're going to add value to the world, you need to understand how people make money and what motivates them and drives them and how you're going to contribute to it. Then you need to understand market acumen. Is how can you quickly ramp up on a particular subject or domain, right? How can you become an expert in finance or an expert in 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 IT or an expert in cloud services or an expert in in um, in safety? Yeah, I'm just making stuff up. And then how do you do that by using the language and the taxonomy of that industry, right? And then communication skills—not just can you speak clearly and write well, but how do you, What does your verbal and nonverbal communication look like? How actively do you listen? Because the most successful people in the world listen three times more often than they talk. It's not the two ears, one mouth, but it's actually three ears, um, one mouth. Um, and then how do you articulate the value you can create within a market for a business? See how they all roll together. And then, Do you have EI in the age of AI? Do you have emotional intelligence? If you wanna separate yourself from the robots, you're gonna take 40% of the jobs that exist, and they're probably gonna take them faster now because of COVID than ever before, you're gonna have to come up with a way to separate yourself. And it doesn't mean we're gonna have 40% unemployment, by the way, as a commentary. Every new technology revolution and evolution creates a whole new set of problems that need to be solved by humans. So there's a whole new opportunity for people to get retrained and upskilled and reskilled into different areas. And it's up to you to make that happen. Don't sit around and wait for somebody else to do it or be a victim. That nothing irritates me more than victim I, mentality. It's, no, nothing's more destructive to a person than talking to themselves negatively and viewing themselves as a victim. You may be a victim of a circumstance, but, but don't become a victim of it by not responding the right way, right? You have a chance to react because that's the true character of a person, not how they act, but how they react. And then the last thing is mindset, right? You need to have that, what we call a growth mindset, which is, I'm, I'd rather be a learn-it-all than a know-it-all. What I don't know is more important than what I do. I can embrace ambiguity in the unknown. Um, and uh, feedback is a gift. I want to grow and develop as a person because there's no distinction between personal and professional development in the new economy. You develop yourself as a person. Will develop yourself as a professional. And if you can do those five things and build using the building blocks that we talked about, can you achieve mastery? Can you acquire knowledge on mindset, business acumen, market acumen, communications, and emotional intelligence? And then can you turn that knowledge into competency so that you can actually do these things to some competent level? And then can you become proficient at them? And then ultimately, can you master them? You can master more than one thing. I'm on the endless pursuit of mastering those five things as a person. And I've found in my life and in the lives of the people who've gone through the academy and our entrepreneurs and the other people that I touch and help. If they work on those five things, they have 80% of the stuff covered and they can adapt and change and move and improve and grow and, and learn and help and contribute. And go through the world in a, in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, to me, I think that's the formula.
0: And, and mindset's really a foundation of all of that, isn't it? Because it is. if, until that bit gets in the right place, everything else is dictated by the way you think and feel. So if if you... Yes,
1: thinking- I, think that, I think therefore I am, right? What you think about, you bring about. I mean, there's all yeah. those axioms. You're right, mindset's number one. I just got on a roll and started with business acumen. But normally I would say mindset's first one. I go mindset, business acumen, market acumen, communications, emotional intelligence. Um, And you bring all those together. um, And I think you've got a well-rounded human that Mm -hmm. is very valuable.
0: And it's, you know, from my own observation, many conversations have been having recently, and there's definitely a common acknowledgement that the things we're not really providing young people through education at the moment is support with emotional intelligence and mindset, right? It's a bit of an old school system going into a very new world. And no one's set up for the survival in this thing. They're still like, they were, they're churned out of school. Like they're going to go into, go and work for Ford on the line, right? Well, (laughs)
1: well, that's exactly right. The school system. And all you have to do is watch uh, doc uh, Ken Robinson's Ted talk on how school kills creativity. I mm-hmm. haven't seen that one. I mean, that's that's epic. I mean, the only thing we have in common in school is our age and our location. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's ridiculous. I think the future of education is all about individualized uh, learning plans for every human based on how their brain works. Yeah. Uh, and we know, <coughs> excuse me, we know so little about it at this point. And there's so much opportunity to learn more. And, and there's amazing people doing incredible work using fMRI as a technology to start to understand how the brain makes connections and how it reacts to new experiences. Dr. John Medina at the University of Washington and his book, Brain Rules, I think is like the foundation for it all. Uh, Dr. David Eagleman at Baylor University and his, his work on, you know, he calls it incognito, the secret lives of the brain and how it's quite possible that the brain is running us and we're not running it. Mm-hmm. um and there's very interesting there's so much yet to learn about and dr uh, sapolsky robert sapolsky at stanford talks about the frontal lobe uh and how it drives logic and behavior and decision making and how trauma can stunt its growth and impact mm-hmm. it in a way that creates these vicious cycles of poverty and crime uh that people can't get themselves out of and communities can't and even Eagleman talks about it. He thinks that one day if we do this correctly, there won't be, there won't, we won't need prisons anymore mm-hmm. um, because we'll be able to, in a positive way, identify a biophysical reason why someone's behavior is the way it is and then do something about it. I don't mean like horrible frontal lobotomy stuff,
0: yeah,
1: no. but like in a meaningful way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that whole system needs to be completely disrupted, turned on its ear. It's happening right now. Um, I think we, one day we're going to live in a world where there's probably 25 to 50 universities around the world that are going to matter. Mm-hmm. And they're only going to matter because of their access to opportunity and people, not because of the quality of their education. Yeah. Everything else is going to be very decentralized, call it Napsterized, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's going to have equal opportunity to access amazing content, education, learning experiences um, for their own individual needs. Mm-hmm. Um you know, what Khan has done with Khan Academy has been a, a, a wonderful beginning in that direction. Uh, people can get access to the most amazing. They can get access from Harvard and St. Andrews University and London School of Economics. I teach at London Business School. I lecture in the, in the MBA program over there for, um, for innovation and market development and, um, and startups and entrepreneurship. And it's not like I'm behind a paywall. Right, you can get this stuff. You just you just got to look for it. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of it's going to be people uh, taking control of their own education or learning, as I say. Yeah. I, and, that, and that's
0: and that really starts with helping individuals identify, like you were saying before, what you're good at and what you love. And I think the problem with school is because everyone goes through this cookie cutter process that a lot of kids never find what they love or what they're good at. And then pursue something they feel they should do quite often, which
1: or they found it as a young, at a young age, and yeah, uh, so and, and then it was, and then they were crushed by society and told right. no yeah. a million times, right? Yeah. And Carol Dweck talks about this, who wrote the book uh, mm-hmm. Mindset, right? Um, that's uh, from Stanford University, and she's mm-hmm. a she was a child psychologist who was trying to understand what happens to us between the age of you know one and five, and then five beyond you know every time every time we fought fa- when we're learning to walk we don't just quit because we keep falling down there's Full not like a whole, there's through. not like a whole group in society that said fuck it i'm crawling around <laughs> adults crawling around town yeah. right. so we all we can all do it we can yeah. all do work but then sooner or later and we're encouraged through that whole process because everybody wants us to walk because nobody wants to carry our asses around <laughs> right um, they want to they want us to learn how to 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 to, to walk they want to us to learn how to eat our, eat, you know, eat and clean and bathe ourselves and, you know, fit, take care of our own physical needs because they're tired of doing it for us. Yeah. But then when do we stand in people's way and stop allowing them to continue those pursuits in other areas of their life? Mm-hmm. And that's what starts in school and the starts with society and all these things. And so, and it, people become, they get fixed mindsets, they, they become afraid of failure and it's only failure if you don't learn from it, by the way, they yep. become afraid of making mistakes they, they, they manage, they get managed to and, and manage themselves in their own lives to avoid mistakes and, and don't grow from it. And the things that they love the most with their children, they lose connection with those things. And at the academy, one of the very first things they do when they come in is they go through a personal and professional development exercise that reconnects them with the things that they loved most when they were young. And yeah. it tries to tie that to what do they love and how can they apply that in their work. And then you get very then we also get very much focused on who the kind of people you want to work with. Right? Because at the end of the day, who it's not the work that you're doing that, that makes you miserable. It's the people. <laughs> we don't leave, you know, we don't leave the work, we leave the people, right? Yeah. And and that's and that's really important to make sure that people get clarity on who they are, what their values are, what they care about, and how they can tell that story to the world so that people can help them get what they want. Mm -hmm. and what
0: what what stage are most of the people that come to the academy
1: what stage are they at they They tend to be they tend to be uh, early 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 to mid career Mm -hmm. so they've checked all the boxes life have have put in front of them and then they realized they weren't happy and they want to work in tech but they don't want to code Mm -hmm. And so we teach roles of sales and business development. We teach growth and growth marketing, growth hacking, digital marketing. We teach UX design thinking. We teach data science. Uh, We teach the roles that are most relevant in helping startups in non-technical capacities, Um, which they all need. Mm -hmm. And traditional university systems are not teaching. No. And are they
0: quite often, are they generally people that want to, they want to do, they want to, to found a startup at some point do
1: they know some of, them, that? some of them do some of them some of them are entrepreneurs yeah um but uh, it's, but a lot of them aren't um, they all have different risk profiles mm-hmm. Some want to come in and then go to work for facebook or apple or linkedin and they do um some want to come in and start a company and they do some want to come in and work for a little while in a startup to learn how to start their own and they do you know they all have their own career path that they develop during the course of their time with us. And that's all part of it.
0: It must be interesting to see how people develop as they go through the, the process. And
1: you it's amazing. Well, we're all about accelerated learning, right? And mm-hmm. so the first principle of accelerated learning, and that's a whole other conversation. We can talk about those principles at another time. We only have a couple minutes left. Yeah, right. Um the is is the number one the number one principle of accelerated learning is direct experience. And so we know we have them for a very short period of time. We know they're already smart and accomplished people. We don't just let anybody into the Academy. Anybody can take the self-service online stuff, but if you want the full service stuff, you have to, you have to meet a standard Um, because I am not putting people in the world that are, that are idiots or assholes. I'm not doing it. Um, I don't want that associated with me or my brand. Yeah, that's true. So, Uh, because, because the hiring people are my peers and friends and we have a global community of mentors that, that want to give back and they want, they want to solve, they want to fill that skills gap that exists in the marketplace between traditional education and what the real world needs in, in, in work. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to put bad people into these, in in front of these people. Anyway, so they work, uh, the majority of their time on real projects with real companies Mm -hmm. doing the work they think they want to do. And they learn very quickly. Um, if this is the kind of work they want to do or the kind of people they want to be in, the kind of environment, the kind of product, the kind of market, the kind of industry, um, uh, the kind of uh, risk-reward profile from a compensation standpoint, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's all a big part of, of the journey that they place themselves on. But when you've got, again, when you're focused and intentional and you're fully immersed, you can, you can adapt quickly. You can grow quickly. Yes. Yeah, so not it's- training. You know, training wow. is fleeting. You know, this is, this is transformational stuff and people have to be open and have that right mindset. And if they are, they get what they want.
0: Yeah. All right. That's a great message and uh, probably a good place to, to end as we are running out of time. Uh, where can people find you in the meantime? And, and we'll definitely speak again at some point in the not too distant future.
1: Yes, I certainly hope so. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Sean A. Shepard. Uh, they can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, connect with me there. Uh, they can go to gxacademy.com for for the academy. They can go to growthx.com for the uh, uh, for the venture capital fund, the startup accelerator, and our, our corporate civic innovation businesses. Um, and uh, you know, I'm happy to happy to connect.
0: Lovely. Well, it's been amazing, and uh, thank you very much for your time. And we we'll look forward to the uh, the
1: follow up. Thanks, David. I really enjoyed it. I look forward to next time. That's been great. Cheers, Sean. Cheers.